Um, tonight's scripture is from Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9, and you can follow along on the screen behind me, or you can grab one of these Red Pew Bibles if you want uh, to kind of have the, the scripture in front of you as we dive into the scriptures tonight. <clears throat> Again, this is from Psalm 8, uh, verses 1 through 9, and you can read along on the screen or in the Red Pew Bible. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This sends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we are in a series right now called uh, Reimagine, and this month has been all about reimagined personhood. And if you were here for the first sermon, Jordan did it. And essentially what Jordan was driving home is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, it is not that your life will become more bland or more vanilla, that actually your life will become more flavorful. Who you are and your uniqueness, who you are and your personality will become more alive and more flavorful. And then the second uh, sermon, if you remember, we had uh, Randall Flynn, he's a, a friend of Jen Hanley, came and he's a choreographer and a, and a dancer, and he spoke about the beauty of God, and that the beauty of God in our theology today is often missing. And one of the ramifications of that or implications from that is that we have also missed being able to connect that beauty back to ourselves as image bearers, as people who are created in his image. And then last week we had uh, local pastor Kevin Jones speak and talking about the prophetic voice, the prophetic voice that, that some of us in our society have right now as those who've been pushed to the margins and are screaming out, hey, we are image bearers too. See us. See us. We are image bearers too, and the systems that are in place right now are not treating us that way. And as Drew said, we have um, some resources for you if you want to continue to, to, to wander down that trail in that conversation and, and can also join us in the conversation that we're having with Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church. But one of the things, one little point that I just want to emphasize and, and, and add briefly in right here at this point is that often the stories of liberation were removed from the slave Bibles here in this country. The stories of people being set free were taken out of the text, and, and, and the Bibles that were given to the slaves had omitted those things. But here's the wild thing, is that the whole book is about liberation. 
And though you take out one story from Exodus, or one story over here, or one story over here, the whole book is about liberation. So people still got it. The people who were being oppressed still heard it. They still heard the story. They still saw the the story. But culturally, some of us grew up in spaces where maybe our people were the ones who took those stories out of the Bible. And for us, the Bible was a book of oppression. The Bible was a book about conformity. But I want to remind you tonight that the Bible is a book about liberation. And next month we're going to be talking about reimagining Scripture and really understanding that this word was sent to set us free. And tonight we are closing out this series on personhood and we're talking about the awesomeness of being a human. That's why I'm dressed in white, like, you know. Drew's up here and and all somber in his dark clothes, and I'm up here bright white, uh, dressed like an angel. And um, in May of 2009, some of you may have seen it, he was invited to the White House. There was a, a night of poetry and spoken word. And he was invited there because he was uh, performing in, in the uh, Broadway show, The Heights. And they had asked him to come and do a number. And when he got up on stage, though, he surprised the audience and he started talking to them about this hip-hop album that he had been working on. And that the person that he felt had really embodied the hip-hop spirit, the epitome of it, was a founding father named Alexander Hamilton. And so he started singing his song, and people were laughing. And then he got to that chorus, his name is Alexander Hamilton. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, and, then, and then he just kept going. And, and all of a sudden, the crowd was like mesmerized. That was 2009. Uh, when Lynn Miranda had actually started thinking about creating uh, the, the musical Broadway Hamilton, It was on on vacation in 2004 when he read a book about it. In 2015, 11 years later, it makes its Broadway debut. debut. And now in 2020, uh, my wife and I saved up for the last 17 years of our marriage. and, (laughs) And we got to go see Hamilton. Yeah. And we were like right there in the middle of it all. And from start to finish, guys, the first, uh, the first set is 75 minutes until intermission. It felt like 15. I was captivated the entire time. The energy and the life that was coming through that stage, that was coming out of those people, that was coming up from the pit, from the music, it was so captivating. And some of the people who wrote reviews about it in the very beginning, one of them said, David Cote from the New York Times, the work's human drama and novelistic density remain astonishing. That this work continues to be astonishing, that it continues to captivate people. And it was in probably the second, as after intermission, that I was... Sitting there, and I began to notice all the details. 
of the set, of the costumes, the stage, the inner ring spinning one way, the outer ring spinning another, all the details that had gone in. And thinking about from 2004, this guy getting this idea, putting it on paper, to 2009 when he's at the White House taking this risk to sing this song he's just written, to then 2015, and all the artistry, all the creativity, all of the work and the sacrifice to create this moment for us to enjoy to be wowed by. The creativity. When we see, when we really see what David is doing here in Psalm 8, in many ways the same can be said. That he's wanting to create this moment of astonishment, this moment of wow for us. In verse 1, it says, Majestic. This is language reserved for royalty, for queens and kings. Brilliance. Brilliance. That's what Eugene Peterson says in the message. The brilliant Lord. The majesty is the brilliance of the Lord. His excellence is glorious. And it says we see it in all the earth. We see it here on this planet in the mountains and the valleys and the fields. Maybe you have those memories where you're captivated by the glory here on earth. And it also says your glory is not just here on earth, but you have set it in the heavens. It is above the overwhelming beauty, the splendor, God's fame, his majesty, his magnificence. He has set it high in the sky too. And then he says, it's in the children and the infants, back down here on earth. It's in the cribs and in the nursing babies. But the beauty is there as well. As Eugene Peterson says in the message, infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs. Parents you thought they were saying something else. But those cries, those shouts, that they are actually, according to David, that they are declaring the glory of God. That glory of God and his majesty is reflected in the highest heavens and in these little squeaks of a baby. These little babies, he says, are the stronghold against your enemies. Who, who could be the enemies? Who are God's enemies? What are God's enemies? Those things which stand in opposition to humanity knowing its glory. That which tries to rob us of our glory. That which tries to dehumanize us. That which tries to create insecurity in us about our humanity. David says that the little goo-goos and gagas of babies silences them. David is raising up the cries of babies. 
and saying that they match the dignity and status of the glory of heaven. And if we could return to Lynn Miranda to Hamilton for a second, there was a critic writing about Miranda, what Miranda does for hip hop. And it says, Miranda elevates the form through his marriage with musical theater storytelling. And in the process, ennobles the culture and the creators. And that word ennobles, to lend greater dignity or nobility of character to something. There it is. You hear it? Main character tonight in the play. Okay? To lend greater dignity or nobility to character, that Miranda's work is lifting up hip-hop to the status of founding fathers. And you believe it. You're like, yes, that's exactly how it was back then. And it's incredible the power of his work to do so. Another critic puts it like this. Miranda isn't just uh, ennobling hip-hop but something even bigger. In the end, Miranda's impassioned narrative of one man's story becomes the collective narrative of a nation. This is in 2015. A nation built by immigrants who occasionally need to be reminded where they came from. A nation built by immigrants who occasionally need to be reminded where they came from. What is it that Lynn is doing in Hamilton is reminding all of us that we were immigrants, that we were outsiders, and he's ennobling all of us at the same time. He is giving all of us dignity at the same moment. On Saturday night, I got to go to this uh, birthday party for a teenager who I believe is sitting in here somewhere right now. Uh, And there was really good food being cooked when I came in. You know, the kitchen was like, there was all this energy and excitement in there. And and the food was coming out, all this Greek food. And my kids just like dove right in. They didn't care. They didn't wait for anybody else. There was no, you know, they just started getting their food. And then more food showed up. And then more people showed up. And games were being played. And there was like little kids at the table playing games and then there was like old people like me at the table playing games and and then the house was full and laughter filled the air and kids were dancing and couples were snuggling and there was so much life to celebrate the life of a teenager all this energy all this excitement we were there for a birthday, a birthday. We were there to celebrate the birth of this boy, that he breathed his first breath, that glory was ushered into this world through this birth. Verses three through five, the heavens, the heavens, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
What is mankind that you are mindful of them? And you have this picture of God with his fingers creating stars and galaxies, like an artist, like a choreographer, creating this dance in heaven and this beautiful scenery that's beginning to emerge and these lights and and the expanse of it all. And then David brings it back to earth and says, what is mankind? that you are mindful of them. Human beings, you care for them. Like, we're just dust, right? We're just dust. That was one of the things that um, Drew and I were talking about beforehand is that, that there's this peace to preaching that, that always we feel like we have to be reminding everybody that you're just dust. You're just dust. But tonight I want to emphasize something that maybe you've never heard before in a sermon. Maybe you've never heard before. It goes on to say, a little lower than angels. We were this close to being gods, guys. This close, right? To being angels. But listen what happens. God crowned us with glory and honor, majesty and beauty. As Eugene Peterson calls it, bright with Eden's dawn light, that God put that crown on us, that he said, he declared to the world, being human is awesome. Being human is glorious. Glory and honor God placed on your head. He placed on your heart. He placed on your body, your entire body, that God declares that you have been crowned with glory and honor, that your entire being majestic isn't it crazy he starts with the heavens and he says the glory is here the lord majestic is your name here on earth and then he takes us back up into the sky how majestic is god in the in the sky in the heavens the glories declare the the skies declare his glory and then he comes back down and he's like infants cooing and crying and they're so cute and they're like praising god with their their cries and it's so beautiful And then we're back into heaven and God's creating with his hands and orchestrating. And then he's back down to earth. And he's like, I'm putting all the glory of the heavens upon you. Upon you. Upon us. Can you see your crown? Can you feel it upon your head? Can you feel it in your body? The intricacy of it all, the intimacy of it all, the artistry of it all. And maybe if you're like me, maybe there are parts of you in your body that are resistant. Dare I say, as a pastor, that the church has often failed to address an issue 
that every single one of us carry in our body, and it's called our sexuality. That even the honor and glory of God is impacted, is upon our sexuality. Even our genitalia. Yes. Even our genitalia. It just got a little awkward, right? It just got a little awkward. Why? Because you've never heard it before. You've never heard it before. That God, when we look at the hands, when we look at the face, maybe we can say, oh, yes, that's the glory of God, the honor of God, that he had crowned us. But I want to tell you tonight that it applies to every single part of your body. And I will tell you this, that one of the reasons in our culture today, one of the reasons in the church that there has been abuse is because we have kept genitalia out of the conversation. We have kept our sexuality out of the conversation. We've said, save that for marriage. That's, you know, when we get married, then we can talk about it. But I want to tell you that your sexuality is beautiful, that the way and God created your body is beautiful, and it is a reflection of his glory. Every single part. Every single part. And if we declare that, if our children understand that, when someone violates that, it is truly not as confusing because they know that is wrong. There's dignity, there's honor, there's glory there. And it is to be respected and honored. to be fully present in the glory that God has created, crowned us with in our entire body is a journey that I'm on. I don't stand up here declaring this as like, hey, I've totally embraced that in my story. But it is a journey that God is healing me of in my own story. This past week, in the state of Tennessee, a 52-year-old man's uh, life was taken by the state. They executed a man on death row. His name was Nicholas Sutton. And he was denied clemency application by the governor. I found out this week that that same governor will be the keynote speaker in a few weeks at a, at a local leadership prayer breakfast in my hometown. And there seems to be a disconnect. Now, the man's crimes were heinous, as one of my friends reminded me of on Facebook. He went into graphic detail about the crimes that this man had committed. And others went on to say what a change he had made, that he had actually saved the lives of three prison guards, that he had become a Christian, that there was all this transformation in his life. And that because of that, he deserved to live. And in some ways, that's the game that people are playing, right? They're saying, well, we have to try to persuade people to see the good in keeping this man alive. But as you know, or some of you know, a few weeks ago, we did a showing of Just Mercy here in our city. 
the movie that tells the story of Brian Stevenson's life. It won a lot of awards this past week um, at the NAACP Awards. And we showed that for over 100 African-American students here in our city. And now because of that film, new doors have opened up for me personally and for our church to connect with people in the legal world. Getting more connected with state attorneys, more connected uh, with uh, public defenders. And one of the things that we've talked about and I've just kind of suggested is what if we could have a once a month gathering with the legal industry, with the legal system at the courthouse before the courts open. And we could even invite other faiths to join us. You know, we could have rabbis and imams there as well. And what if we had a sample of the prayer, that, that the opening prayer, that one of the points we drove home was this. God, may every single person that enters these doorways, these halls, and these courtrooms today, have their dignity restored. May they be crowned again with your glory. That in our justice system that it could do such a work. A man may have to pay a price for a crime, but taking his dignity and his honor away from him, is that justice? to argue the man has been transformed. I understand what they're, they're saying, that he's become a Christian, trying to like win the Christian appeal, the Christian voice. Oh, he's one of us now. Before any of that, he is a human being who's been created in the image of God, who's been crowned with the glory and dignity, and we still have systems in place in this country that think they're justified in taking that away. to have a justice system that together works to restore, to bring back the dignity, to care for creation. Is this not the charge that David is giving to us after he tells us that he has put the crown upon our head? In verse six and nine he says, rulers who are rulers over my artwork. I've put everything under your feet flocks and herds of the fields, birds in the sky, fish in the sea. Your name is majestic in all the earth. The brilliant Lord, his name echoes around the world. And who are the ones who he has crowned, who he has crowned, to declare that over and over again. See, in the justice system of Jesus, Jesus gives his life to proclaim our glory. Jesus gives his life on the cross to say to us, you are still worthy to me. You are like gold, you are like treasure. You may not treat yourself that way. Others may not treat you that way. But I'm giving my life for you to know that you still have the glory 
and the honor, the crown upon your head. And he will do it through every means. He will endure every means that brings about shame upon humanity. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be abused. He's going to be mocked. He's going to stand. He's going to be nailed to the cross, fully exposed. His whole body will be on display before the world, declaring to the world that the human has been crowned with glory and honor. Don't dehumanize it anymore. When Randall was kind of finishing his sermon, he told this story about this little kid and he'd been taken to a fireworks event. And they had the big countdown for the fireworks. And they were like, one, two, three. <clears throat> and the kid was looking up at the sky. And the fireworks didn't go off. But he just goes, oh, my God, it's beautiful. Wow. And what David is saying is look in the mirror. Look at the person next to you. The glory, the honor, the majesty, beauty of God is in the pew next to you. It's in you. Our work, friends, is to crown each other over and over again. It's one of the things we do here each week in and out. It's one of the things that we're doing in story group as we listen to each other. We say, you are worth being listened to. And we see the honor and the dignity and the glory restored to people's lives. Let us pray.